it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at stockmarketpdf.com. Love this podcast because it crushes your dreams of getting rich quick. They actually got me into reading stats for anything. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern. Step-by-step premium investing guidance for beginners. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Starts now. All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. Tonight, we have episode 215, and tonight we're going to answer two great listener questions we got recently. So without any further ado, I will go ahead and dive in, and Andrew and I will do our usual give and take. So here we go. So I have, hi, Dave and Andrew. Your resources are continuously rewarding so far. I've been following IFB for a few months now. Much praise. I have two questions. I'm six months into my journey of learning about investing and money management albeit a bit late in life and trying to get my friends that are all in their 40s to start thinking about investing and their retirement. Thank you. Some, unlike me, are not made out for learning how to pick individual stocks and are far more suited to play it safe. And along with investing in the S&P 500 in retirement accounts. For those who have some ethical hurdles in investing in some certain companies in the S&P 500, does investing in ETFs that track the S&P 500 companies actually affect the stock price and the businesses of the underlying companies themselves. I know that when investing in VOO, for example, I'm not buying actual stocks of these companies, but investing in a fund that just tracks these 500 companies when people buy and sell VOO or SPY, do their investing actions actually affect the underlying companies positively or negatively? So Andrew, what are your thoughts on this great question? It is a great question. Thank you for writing in. I think maybe we should go back to the basics in case there's anybody who doesn't understand how the stock market works really and what it represents. And then that kind of feeds into how ETFs work, which is what the question is here. Two very common ETFs, which let you buy a basket of stocks. And the tickers for those are SPY and VOO. 
So how would you describe very basics of what a share means on the stock market and you know how that relates to the business world? I think the easiest way to describe it is would you buy a stock, you're buying a share or a percentage of that particular business, whether it's Microsoft, Apple, Visa, Tesla, whatever it may be. When you buy that share, you are now a part owner of that company, albeit a smaller portion, but it's still, it's a portion of ownership of that particular company. Perfectly said. Yes. So S&P index does like these two ETFs we're talking about, VOO or SPY. It just takes a basket of that. So I've been doing this for almost a decade. So I'm not quite the most old gray head when it comes to like being in the stock market. But back when I first started, it wasn't that easy to just go and buy however many companies you wanted. And so the S&P 500, the top 500 companies in this index that people track when they talk about the market, that's a lot of companies to buy individual shares of. And back when I started, you couldn't even buy partial shares. So if if Google is trading at like $3,000 a share and you wanted to build an index that included Google, you'd have to put $3,000 down just to have one share of Google. And then let's say you got to put 200 down to, to buy a share of Apple. And it was just really basically impossible unless you had huge amounts of money to buy the whole index. So ETFs made that possible. So they, they basically pool a bunch of money in and they go and they buy these companies. And then you buy shares in the ETFs. So it's like this shared pool and you don't own, it's not this mystical pool. It does own the companies inside there. And so to answer the question, when you buy SPY or VOO, does it affect the companies inside it? Absolutely. The indexes have to match. So they have to have the, the amount of holdings to match. And they are taking in investor money and then just simply buying it. And they're the ones who are holding it and kind of being the custodian and managing it all for you so that you get the correct weightings. So, you know, and this is just an example. If Microsoft made up like 5% of the economy, but let's say CDW, which is a IT distributor, if they only made like 0.05% of the economy, if the S&P was weighted to match its weighting in the economy, then the S&P 500 should be made up of 5% of Microsoft and only 0.0 whatever number I said for CDW. And so that's a lot to, to like balance that is a lot of moving money around. So the ETFs really do take a lot of the headache of having to diversify and build a portfolio that would match what you see reported when you see people say the market did this or the market did that. Yeah, exactly. And if you wanted to work around the ethical hurdles that they're talking about here, whatever companies there may be, in today's age of so many creative ETFs, there is a possibility that you might be able to find an ETF that doesn't contain those particular companies. There are different types of ETFs out there now that you can buy to try to manage whatever, I guess, weanings you may have. There's also, depending on what particular companies they are, again, I don't know which ones these are that they have you know, some hurdles and that's totally fine. There's nothing wrong with that. There's lots of people out there like that. And I guess my point is, is that there are ETFs that you can buy that, let's say that I'll just use an example. Let's say that the company is Facebook, just as an example. Facebook occupies a larger percentage of the S&P 500 by market weight. You could find ETFs that will match the middle tier of the S&P 500 or even the bottom tier of the S&P 500. So there'll be more mid cap or small cap stocks 
that are in those particular indexes. And you could buy something like that. So instead of buying the whole index, you could buy different portions of the index. Or I've mentioned this in the past, let's say that this particular company is airlines, for example, just again, as an example, I'm not saying this is one of those, but let's say that it's airlines and you really wanted to focus on semiconductor stocks. There are ETFs out there now that track indexes that mimic all the semiconductor stocks, for example, or if you wanted to do solar, or if you wanted to do electric car, the world is your oyster now with ETFs because there are so many options. Like Andrew was saying, you know, 10 years ago when he started, the old man, when he started, there weren't as many options as there are now. So there are lots of different flavors that you can choose some from. So if you want to use something to track the S&P 500, SPY, VOO are great choices and they're easier options instead of having to mix and match or move around. But I guess my point is, is that there are options out there if you want to avoid certain sectors or things that you'd rather focus on than others. And I would be careful because I think it's kind of been lumped into what's called ESG, environmental, social, and governance. So there's a lot of ETFs now that kind of have this ESG focus, and those are kind of supposed to be, you know, better for the environment or better socially, corporate responsibility, all those sorts of nice buzzwords. Some of those ESG funds don't actually, like you, you have to be careful about what's actually in the fund. Like there are ESG funds with big oil in them, as an example. So, you know, if you were trying to avoid that because you want to invest for environmentally friendly, then that would be something to consider. You really can find whether it's like environment. It doesn't. So my point is you don't have to pick an ESG fund. You can pick different funds that have different themes. And maybe that theme corresponds with what your values are. They even have this like Christian values index now. And there's several of them. So, you know, ETFs are really easy to make nowadays. So everybody and their brothers making their own ETF. That could be overwhelming, like they've said. But if you are interested in you know, customizing your portfolio because you don't want to participate in particular companies or whatever the reason is, you can definitely look at what is inside an ETF. And that's not very hard at all. Like You can put the ETF ticker into Google and probably the top three websites at least will have links where you can figure out what the holdings are. You can read the prospectus, which tells you what the fund is trying to achieve. Take you a couple minutes, but definitely would be researches. If you're trying to DIY and customize parts of your portfolio, that would be a great way to do it. And then, of course, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that you know, if you want to go crazy, you could go and buy individual companies. I mean, nowadays you could buy a share, you can buy $5 worth of any stock in the S&P through Schwab, or I think I was playing with Fidelity and I bought like 2 or $3 worth of a stock. It was like point whatever, zero, zero, whatever. And you can do that now and you can like totally build your own ETF now. It's kind of crazy. So all across that spectrum of like, do it for me, buy me the S&P 500, all the way down to let me build my own index, you can do it all. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. 
Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. Yep, exactly. You can. There's lots of great resources out there and Vanguard, uh, iShares, BlackRock, ETF.com, all those websites that are big ETF providers. You just go to them, look for the particular ETFs and they will tell you exactly what's in there, like Andrew was saying. And you can also read the prospectus, which will give you an insight to what they're trying to achieve with the ETF. That's very helpful, especially with the ESG ones. If that's something that's very important to you, I would strongly recommend you do that because unfortunately there is a little bit of uh, shadiness going on with some of that occasionally. And so you kind of want to know what you're buying because I would hate for you to be touting an ESG investment philosophy and then you're buying something that you're against. So that would be detrimental. All right. So let's move on to the next part of the question. So uh, the second part of the question is on a similar note, what would you account for the difference in price in SBY at $470 a share and BOO at $430 a share, as well as the slight difference in performance, 6.9 versus 6.48%, both of which I bought on the same day. If both funds that track the performance of the S&P 500 WIST. So Andrew, what are your thoughts on Ares's? I'm sure I butchered that name. <laughs> so forgive me if I have for that great question. Yeah. So he mentions basically buying the same thing and then there's a slight difference at the end of the day. You know, unless you hit the buy button at the exact same time for both of these stocks that are ETFs, that could make up the difference right there. I know that there's a slight difference in fees between SPY and VOO. Again, we're talking about like fractions of percent, so it really doesn't mean much. And even the difference between you know six point nine and, and six point five for a single day, my guess is it probably has to do with the fact that in the thirty seconds it took you to say buy VOO and then buy SPY, the index probably moved a tiny bit. You know that could certainly have been 
the reason. The difference in the, the management fee of the ETF that could possibly, maybe they take that out at the beginning when you buy, that could account for the difference. So it could be a couple of those things, but I really wouldn't sweat it too much. He says the difference between price is different. So that really has to do with the shares outstanding. So should we go back to the basics and explain shares outstanding? Yeah, go for it. So, you know, if you think about a stock, what determines a stock's price? Well, it really depends on how you slice it up. So if, if we think of it like a pizza, how many slices are there in the pizza? If Domino's Pizza is a company we want to buy, and uh, let's say it makes like $4 billion in, in revenue, well, the stock price will be really high if we only split that into like three slices or four slices. If we split that into millions of slices, the stock price will be lower because yes, Domino's Pizza might make $4 billion a year, but we've sliced it up in all these little shares. And so however many shares you slice it into is going to determine what the price in the stock market is for that company. And then, you know, that's going to change over time. And as the company grows, so does the share price. And the pizza can be re-sliced over and over and over again. But the bottom line is the price is going to be different depending on what the shares outstanding are. So the SPY and the VOO are both tracking the same S&P 500 the same 500 companies. So they're going to move the same way. So if, if one moves 3% up, the other one's going to move 3% up also. The difference is they have different shares outstanding. So the price that you actually pay for one share, that share price is different because there's different number of shares that there's different. It's sliced in a different number of slices, that pizza. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yep, exactly. All right. So let's move on to the next question. I think we've beat that horse pretty good. Hi, Dave and Andrew. I have a question on how to approach AT&T and their impending spinoff of Warner Media. I started investing in the company before the spinoff announcement and have continued to add to the position because of the large dividend and future promise of free shares of the new Warner Brothers Discovery spinoff company. Here's where I'm struggling. I know the AT&T share price will continue to fall as the spinoff date nears and take a large cut when it actually happens. I can add to the position to maximize the current high dividend and receive more shares of the spinoff company or keep my position and likely purchase a significantly more amount of AT&T shares after the split while also lowering my overall cost per share, but not receive as many shares of the spinoff company. I'm leaning towards the former because of the increase of the new company and that future value in the long run, but curious what your thoughts are. Thanks, Eric. So this uh, question came from Twitter. So Andrew, what is your thoughts on Eric's great question? Love it. So let's define spinoff first. It's basically a company that's having a divorce inside of itself. <laughs> so, or it used to be, you know, maybe two businesses 
merged into one. Now they're separating and becoming their own, each their own. So for AT&T, which I'm not an expert on AT&T, I don't own the stock, but I'm familiar with the company. They're spinning off Warner Media, which I don't know, again, the specifics, but I'm assuming that's... I know they have like record labels. They own TV shows like HBO's under Warner Media, I believe. Mm-hmm. They are. So all of those like media assets are going to be what more Warner Media is. So it's going to go away from AT and T. It's going to become its own company, separate from AT and T. AT and T with the fiber and the phones and the fancy commercials are going to be their own thing too. And so, like Eric said in the question, when that split happens, the share price of AT and T goes down. By the amount of how much Warner Media it was basically worth, right? So you have the value of Warner Media, the value of ATT as they split, however valuable Warner Media is, gets chopped off that share price. Shareholders who have ATT shares will get shares of the new Warner Media. You still keep the same number of shares from the ATT, but you don't get a bunch. I mean, you have the same number of ATT shares, now you have new Warner Media shares. But the old, the AT&T is not the old AT&T. So that share price is, again, going to crash. And so the question for Eric is he's wondering, you know, should I buy more now? You know, you can start collecting dividends now or should I wait till after the spinoff? And that really depends on which company do you want to own? Which business do you want to own? I mean, do you like Warner Media? And what's hard about spinoffs is that when a company like Warner Media is inside a bigger company like AT&T, there's probably not as much disclosure. You won't see as much information about that company than if it was a standalone company required to file its own annual reports to the SEC. So they're going to have to do that. So moving forward, we're going to get to see much more disclosure on Warner Media that you didn't get to see in the past. Now they do have, I think it's called an S1, but there's, there's special prospectuses for spinoffs. So you do get more detail about what the new spinoff company is, what's inside it, how the spinoff, like the mechanics of the spinoff are going to work. But generally, it's not as in-depth as like an annual report will be, which they will file within their first fiscal year of being their own company. So it's tough because you might think you know what WarnerMedia is all about, but it could be, it could be something different. It depends on the spinoff. It depends on the companies involved. And so you really have to keep that into your consideration. Do I feel like I know enough about this business model to feel confident about, yes, I do want Warner Media. And that's really where, that's really what it comes down to because I mean, you could play games all, all day long with the dividends and the stock price, but those aren't games that most people can win. And it's, it's certainly not a game I try to win. It's really, you want to find good businesses and, and try to invest in those for the long term. And knowing about what a good business is depends on how much you know about the business and how much you know about analyzing businesses. So that's why I say, sure. I mean, if you know for sure you like both companies, why not buy collect more dividends? Sure. But if you're kind of on the fence or you're not, maybe you're a little uncertain about the future Warner Media or what you get with Warner Media, then maybe it's worth waiting until after the split, waiting for more annual reports, that kind of a thing. So let me, I guess, let me play a little bit of a devil's advocate and ask you this. So let's say that AT&T is trading, let's say it's around 30 bucks a share. I don't know what the actual price is. I don't have it in front of me, but let's say it's trading around 20 bucks a share. And you really like AT&T, but you're a little bit on the fence about Warner Media. If the price drops, 
when the spinoff happens, let's say it drops to 20 bucks a share, you could buy more of AT&T at that time and reduce your cost basis on the AT&T investment. And you're going to get more of the dividend because you own more shares because that part of it won't change. But the it could though it could, but it's they could they could split the dividend in theory they, where they could, but you know. I you know AT and T that's one of their big trading hallmarks is their dividend. I can't see them doing anything that's going to affect that part of it because I think that would be ruinous for the investors in the business. Well, if if it's because of the spinoff, so if like if AT and T was paying a dollar in a dividend, mm-hmm. but then they spin off, maybe they only pay eighty cents in a dividend. And now Warner Media pays twenty cents of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I don't invest enough spinoffs to know whether that's yeah, the case either. or not. Yeah, I don't either. But, sorry, yeah. we're I derailed what you were trying to say. But <laughs> I guess you were what saying I was, something about. I, I guess what I was getting at would it be more beneficial to wait until the share price dropped to buy more of the parent company because you're going to get the shares of the spinoff irregardless. And if you're more bullish about AT and T than you are about Warner Media, wouldn't it be more beneficial in the long run to lower your cost basis? Then you get you know a better return over a longer period of time because chances are, you know, a company like AT and T will at some point will probably return back to you know the price of before the spinoff probably sooner than later, and then you'll still get the benefit of the dividends that you're collecting because you own more share. I think you hit the nail on the head, and there's actually some literature literature written about it <laughs> Joel Greenblatt, I, I don't, right? yeah Joel Greenblatt. i don't yeah. know what the whole cost basis thing is we're not tax professionals so that would be more of a special case but as far as the actual spin-off themselves joel greenblatt which was an investor who had crazy returns he did something like 45 percent a year for like a decade so oh, in, a, in a place where people are happy to make 10% a year, he quadrupled that and then it mushroomed out of control. So he, he's done very well for himself in the stock market. He specialized in, in spinoffs and he wrote a book about it. You Can Be a Stock Market Genius was one of his books. I think that's the one that has the spinoffs. I in think there. it is too, yeah. And he noticed back when he would invest, spinoffs seem to always sell off at the beginning. And so he would say like a reason for that could be that you have a bunch of people who own the company and then they spin off a part of the business and people don't really like that part of the business. So they would sell those shares as soon as they get those shares mm-hmm. spun off to them. Or, you know, maybe they bought AT&T because they liked Warner Media. But then, you know, they really never liked the AT&T part that much. So after the spin off, they sell the AT&T part. You could get a lot of that. And so that's where sometimes you could see the price go down after the spin off and then come up as people start to recognize that this is a situation that potentially created value for everybody involved. Mm -hmm. Because another thing about Wall Street, which is kind of weird, but (laughs) they don't like glut, which could argue would be a good thing, but like they would sometimes evaluate the pieces differently if it was two separate pieces than if they were together, even though the, the financials are like the same. Different stocks will get different prices based on if you consider them a media company or if you consider them a, a phone company, they could be, it could really change the price. And so as the market figures out what that new price is, that's where you can see it go up a lot. So those are, I guess, some additional things to think about that could be factors. I don't know. I mean, we talked to somebody the other day and they said something about how like the whole Greenblatt thing's pretty much well known now and arbitraged mm-hmm. away. Right. But I mean, at the end of the day, you still have like, Investors want to like what they invest in. I mean, if anything, we answer that question today. 
yeah. you know, talking about the ethics behind your investing. Yeah. Right. So people do make decisions like that. So it does make sense that you could see prices come down after a spinoff and then go back up. Mm-hmm. That's completely possible. And it does happen a lot. Yeah, it does. I am actually going through, or I'm going to be going through this exact scenario with a company I own. I own uh, shares of Intel. And they recently announced that they're going to spin out one of their divisions called Mobileye. And so something that's been kind of interesting to watch is the market kind of reacted actually kind of favorably to Intel you know, announcing that they were going to spin out this division. And the, the share price of Intel actually went up a little bit over a few days. So that indicated to me that they were favorable around the idea of this particular segment going public and being its own standalone company. And, you know, at this point, I haven't decided what I want to do with Intel, but that could be something that could lead me to continue to hold the company because it could drop, if it does drop the share price of Intel, I could buy, I could get a better cost basis and I could potentially get the ownership of another valuable asset that I don't know that much about, honestly. So it would be something that I'm going to try to learn about. And last year in 2020, I bought a company that was spun out of uh, VR Corp. It was called Contour Brands. And they were a company that owned, oh gosh, I'm going to blank on the, the jeans. Supreme. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, it was trading for, uh, I don't know, around 15, 16 bucks a share prior to COVID. And then it dropped to about 12 bucks a share during the pandemic. And it proceeded to recover over the next year to about 50 bucks a share. And it was paying a dividend along the way. So I got a, a smoking deal on the company. But it was a great example of a company I was looking for, a dividend company. I came across this company. It looked like the prospects were great. And then it was spun out of VR Corp. And I was able to, to buy in at a really good price. So there can be opportunities in this. You just have, kind of have to pay attention and, and kind of understand what your goal is. I think the biggest thing is understand what the goal is. Because, you know, if you don't like Warner Media and you think this is a, a complete dud, and I guess to me, that would be one of the big questions because this is now the third or fourth owner of Warner Media in the last five or six years. And so that would lead me to think, why does everybody keep wanting to get rid of it? <laughs> <laughs> that would be my, I mean, that's, that's my question, you know, I mean, 18, you know, HBO is great, obviously, but, uh, you know, the rest of it is like, well, why do people keep dumping it? Is there something wrong with it? You know, it's, anyway, that's, that's a question I would ask, but I think this is a great question, Eric. And I think that, I think you got the right idea about what you're trying to do. But I think the biggest thing is think about all the things that Andrew was talking about and try to remember what your goal is for the investment with AT&T, as well as if you decide you want to continue to own Warner Media. Yeah, I mean, really fantastic question, Eric, and thank you for writing in and presenting that to us. I'm glad you brought up Intel because I think it it also makes another good case study example because I think it's kind of like Wall Street speak to say, oh, it unlocks shareholder value. These spinoffs unlock shareholder value. Like, If you look at Intel, it's a great example of this because Intel, if you're not familiar with them, they're kind of big, very big, matured, low growth, great cash flows, you know, just kind of that steady blue chip stock. And then Mobileye is a super high growth stock. So you know the way that like super high growth stocks go is they go to the stock market and they try to pool a bunch of money together, right? That's what the stock market does. You pool a bunch of money together in order to get this explosive growth that you go and you go dominate the market. That's the idea. 
for Intel and blue chips like Intel, they've more or less dominated their market already. And they're more about giving money back to the people who have pooled money into the system. You know, they're going to pay back the shareholders return capital to them. So it's like two different strategies and two different ways to use the same stock market. And so that's why when you leave Mobileye inside of Intel, you're not able to take advantage of the stock market to raise a bunch of capital because it's stuck inside Intel. And Intel's giving away capital, not taking it in. So by spinning it off, the shareholders who owned Intel, they get to still own Mobileye, but now it gets to use the fact that it's the capital markets and it's a young growth stock. And you know it could very well be win-win for both Intel shareholders and Mobileye shareholders. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So the time will tell. I think the spinoff is supposed to happen sometime in 2022. So we will keep you apprised of that. Maybe that, that might be a good discussion at the time when that actually happens. Yeah. Somebody asked a question about it. Well, if it's in the queue, well, I'm sure we love talking about Intel. So yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it will show up at some point in the show. Yep. Yep, exactly. All right. Okay. Well, I guess with that, we will go ahead and wrap up our conversation for this evening. I wanted to thank everybody for taking the time to write us those great questions. Keep them coming. This is a lot of fun and we hope you guys are getting some good, good information and some good takeaways and learnings from all this stuff. So without any further ado, we'll go ahead and sign us off and go out there and invest with an budget of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week. We'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.